Well, my name is Sam, if we haven't met before, and um, hi, Angie. <laughs> and um, I'm one of the campus pastors at our Liverpool campus. And I want to um, tell you a story to begin with this morning about a time I was invited to something and the results of that invitation changed the direction of my life. Are you ready for that story this morning? It was about maybe 15 or 16 years ago and I was invited to a young adults group. Now, I was a part of this church. I was a young adult in this church, but I'd never been to the young adults group that um, we were running as a church. Downstairs, where all the kids are right now, was decked out for, um, for young adults. And um, our pastor at the time, Paul, said to me, why don't, why don't you come to young adults? There's a stack of people there that you don't know. Um, I think you'll enjoy it. And so it was Tuesday night, and I'm like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a go. I'm going to go to young adults. When I went in, I met a couple of, of lovely people, but one in particular was this young man. Now, 16 years ago, we didn't take a lot of photos, unlike today where it's selfie central. So it took me forever to find a photo of this young man he, <laughs> he had hair that was much longer than my hair. And um, back then, guys didn't seem to know how to really look after their hair very well. Um, so it, it was interesting. I can't find a photo of this, but he had this beard that kind of was like long and he would play with it. Can anyone, does anyone remember the person I'm talking about? Anyone old enough to remember who I'm talking about? <laughs> he was strange looking, but um, something about him just drew me to him. He was friendly. He was unlike anyone I'd ever met before. He was interested in strange things. And so we became friends. And he'd take me to these bizarre plays that I had no idea what was really going on, but he enjoyed them. And then as years went on, he went from being my strange-looking, weird friend to my boyfriend. Got a bit of a haircut, had a little bit of a shave, and we started dating. And then a few more years went by, and we eventually got married. He became my husband. He does look like a rock star. There was a period between dating and marriage where he became a rock star, and um, played in a band um, with Joel White. I'm not sure if Joel's here today. And now here we are, 15, 16 years ago, madly in love, 15, 16 years later, madly in love, doing life together. But you know, it all started with an invitation. Yes. It started with an invitation to a young adults group. And that invitation radically changed the direction of my life. Have you ever received an invitation like that? an invitation that changed or altered your life. Maybe it was to something where you met your, your spouse or maybe it was an invitation to a church service or a life group or a church event where the outcome of that was that you met Jesus and now he has radically changed your life. There is power in an invitation. Last Sunday... 
Nathan asked us to think about what our culture here is at LifeGate. And he challenged us by saying that currently we are lacking a culture of invite. Currently we're lacking a culture of invite. And he gave us four reasons to invite. Can anyone remember? You might need to flick back through your notes. Can anyone remember any of those reasons that he gave us to invite? Yell them out. How well do we listen? No one remembers. People will hear the message of Jesus. Yes. One. Anyone else? Nathan, can you remember them? No. <laughs> They'll experience a kingdom culture. How about I put them on the screen? Yes. Gives you an opportunity to be courageous. And then the second one where we miss people belong before they believe. Four great reasons. For great reasons for us to develop a culture of invite, for us to offer invitations to people, to our church services, to our life groups, to Alpha, to the events that we run. But this morning, I want to give you four obstacles to inviting. Now, there's probably much more, many more than four, but I've come up with four. And before I give you my four, I want you to take 30 seconds to turn to the person next to you and come up with one one obstacle that we might face to us inviting someone. Go. Okay, who's got one? Who's got one? Yell them out to me. Embarrassment. Yep. Fear of rejection. Anyone else? Sorry? Your work won't let you. You're making custard. Great excuse. I don't like custard, but anything else? Need a sleep in? obstacles to invite. Well, I've got four that I want to give you. Two of them have already been said. Um, Not the custard one because I'd never make custard. (laughs) The first one is apathy. You know, the longer we are a Christian, the more we hang out with Christians, we're involved in church life, we're serving at church, we're going to life group, we're serving at events, Sometimes we can sort of look around us and realise we're kind of in a Christian bubble. It's not that we don't care about people who are non-believers, but it's that we might just not spend a lot of time thinking about them because a lot of our time, our thought, our energy is spent with those people that we're doing life with throughout the week, who think like us, who act like us, who are involved in the same things, that we are. You know, my life can naturally become a bit of a Christian bubble. And it's, again, it's not that I don't care about non-believers. But sometimes if I'm not intentional, if I'm not intentional about thinking about people in my life who don't yet know Jesus, my life can become a bit of a Christian bubble. I'm on staff here at the church, so shock horror, all of my work colleagues are Christians. I have wonderful, deep Christian friendships, 
that I love to spend time with. I have a number of Christians in my family. And then the the non-Christians, close friends that I had that we were sharing the gospel with a few years ago, praise God, got saved. And so if I'm not intentional about getting outside of my Christian bubble, I can find that I've got a bit of apathy when it comes to inviting people to stuff because I'm just not really thinking about it. And so one of the things that we've done this year is we've been really intentional about our time. How can I make time in a busy schedule, a busy life, church, work environment where I can be intentional about connecting with non-believers so that I don't forget about them? Because if they're not coming around in my path on a daily, regular basis, I'm not developing those deep relationships with them. Then when it comes to inviting, who have I got to invite? So just yesterday, we spent time with some of our non-Christian friends that we don't get a lot of time to spend with, and it was beautiful. I was asked to do a a baby dedication, and I got to, to dedicate my friend's baby, but a number of the people that were there are not believers. And so we intentionally went, knowing that we were some of the Christians in the group, and we want to connect on a deeper level with our friends that don't yet know Jesus. Because I don't want it to become just something where I'm just kind of not thinking about it. I'm not doing it on purpose, but I'm just not giving it a lot of my time and my thought. You know, imagine what it would have been like for Jesus coming to earth. He spent all of his time with God, the Holy Spirit and the angels. He was had the ultimate Christian bubble. And yet... The scriptures tell us that he became flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood. He left the majesty and the wonder of heaven, his Christian bubble, and he intentionally came to earth to hang out with the lost, the hurting, the broken, and he brought the kingdom of heaven with him. He brought what, who he was into that place, inviting people to himself. So my first question for us this morning is when was the last time you got out of your bubble, you got out of your Christian bubble, you were intentional about spending time with people who were not yet believers? Because in order for us to develop a culture of invite, we actually have to have relationship with people that don't know Jesus. And for some of you in this room, what I'm saying is going to sound ridiculous because you're rubbing shoulders with non-Christians all the time and that is awesome. But for some of us, we can find ourselves in a Christian bubble. If you're in a Christian school, you're teaching with other Christians. So I want to challenge you, when was the last time you were intentional about getting out of that bubble? Second one was embarrassed by church. I think that was Angela. Were you the one that said that? (laughs) Embarrassed. I don't know about you, but I love our church. I've been worshipping in part of this church for over 20 years. For me, it's a safe place where I belong. It's a place where I can express worship 
to God, be encouraged, be challenged. But when you think about bringing a non-believer into this place, whether it be, I guess I'm mostly speaking about on a Sunday, but it might also be life group, what kind of things start to run through your mind? What kind of questions pop up in your mind when you think about inviting someone to church? Maybe things like, what will they think of the building? What will they think of the car park, the toilets? Will they be welcomed? Will they think that the singing is weird? Will the offering or the giving talk offend them? Will they understand what the crazy preacher is talking about? (laughs) And these are great questions. These are great questions to have. You know, we view, I think Nathan said this last week, we view church differently when we view it through the lens of a non-Christian. And this is a great thing for us to do. And so when it comes to this point, when it comes to this obstacle of being embarrassed by church, I want to suggest that there's four things that we as the inviters can do. And the first thing is to have each other's back. You know, if we arrive at church every week expecting that someone has brought a friend this week, with that expectation, then we're going to notice that the toilets are looking a little bit off and be the one to go and fix them up. We're going to notice that, hey, there's only one spot left in the car park. I'm going to leave that because someone may have invited a friend today and I want to make sure they get a car park. We're going to make sure that we are friendly and we are welcoming when Roz brings her friend. And then we know that when we bring our friend in a few weeks' time, Roz is going to do that for us. Have each other's backs. Come with an expectation that someone is going to have brought a friend to church. The second one is to do the journey with your friend. Talk with them before you come. Don't just kind of do an invite and then run. Here's an invitation to church. See you there. Explain what's going to happen. Let them know what, you know, you're going to be welcomed at the door. You're going to be given a bag and asked to fill out a card. This is why we do it. There's going to be some singing and then someone's going to get up and give some announcements and there's going to be a talk. Do the journey with them. And then can I also say, sit with them. And for some of us that are involved in church, that might mean doing a a swap on roster, but because we've got each other's backs, that's going to be okay. Next one is to take a chill pill. I want to show you a, uh, a quick video and then I'll talk a little bit more about this. Who are you people? (laughs) You know, sometimes we can freak out a little bit and worry about the fact that we think that people are going to think we're weird. But that is totally normal. (laughs) 
Singing praises to a football team is totally normal for arenas to be filled with men and women praising their football team. So maybe we just need to take a chill pill that people are going to be okay when they come into this environment and we're singing praise and adoration to our God. Take a chill pill. It's going to be okay. Fourth point is to pray. You know, we can't get anybody saved. We can't get anyone saved. We offer an invitation, but it's the Holy Spirit that leads people to God. But you know what? We can pray. We can pray that hearts would be softened when the invitation goes out. We can pray that when they come along, that the heart would be open to what God wants to do, that the Holy Spirit would be drawing them close, softening their hearts so that they receive the truth. And, you know, when we get friends into an atmosphere like this of faith, of expectation, where they're going to hear about Jesus, absolutely anything is possible. And you know what? We can have the worst week. We can have a week where the drummer goes rogue and starts playing in the spirit, in the spirit. When the preaching maybe isn't so crash hot, but if the Holy Spirit is drawing somebody, anything is possible. I saw this meme during the week. When the preacher takes scripture out of context and people still get saved. You know, we diligently prepare our messages, do all we can to make sure that we don't take scripture out of context. But, you know, even if everything goes wrong, if the Holy Spirit is drawing someone, all it could take is just a little moment, something that draws somebody to Jesus and someone will get saved. So pray. So our next, my next question for us this morning is do you feel comfortable to invite non-Christians to church? Whether it be on a Sunday, whether it be to life group, whether it be to an event, do you feel comfortable to invite people to church? And if after going through those four points, the answer is still no, then I want to encourage you to talk to someone about that, to talk to Nathan or to me or to your life group leader. And with absolute love, I want to say that if you've talked that through and you still go, you know what, this is not a church that I would invite someone to, then maybe this actually isn't the church for you. Because we desperately want to be a church where you feel comfortable and you'd love to bring people here. And we work hard and we talk through what does it look like for us to be a church where we want to bring non-believers to, to this place. But if we do this process and you talk it through and you go, you know what, this still isn't a place that I want to bring my friends, then maybe we're not for you. And I say that with all love and all care and all we want to help you flourish and be in the kingdom and be in another church. But you know what, we're filled with churches. So we need to make sure that we're in the one where we are happy to bring a non-believer and to sit with them and to believe and pray that they're going to get saved. And if that's in this church, if that's in the Anglican church around the corner, if that's in the Baptist church down the road, you need to be in the one where you're going to go, yes, I'm bringing Uncle Jack here and he's going to get saved. Is that okay? We good? Good.
I'm seeing some smiles. I'm seeing some blank faces. <laughs> Third point is fear of rejection. This is huge. Fear of rejection. I think at some point we are all going to experience fear of rejection at some level. Questions like, what will my friend think of me if I invite them to church? Well, what if they say no? What if they laugh at me? What if they think that I'm a bit of a nutter? What if it becomes really awkward between us after I invite them to something? What if they start treating me differently? What if they stop inviting me to their events because they think that I wouldn't want to be there? What if they think that I'm this holy person so they can't invite me to their stuff? We can spend so much time thinking about what someone else is going to say or think about the invitation. Afraid that the invitation will be rejected or afraid that we will actually be rejected, not just the invitation. There's this story in John 9 where Jesus does something absolutely incredible. And there's there's a set of parents and a young man and the response between the parents and the young man are vastly different. I want to tell you a bit, I'm going to give you the background, what happened, and then we'll look at a couple of scriptures. So Jesus meets this young man, and he's been blind since birth. And now I don't really understand sometimes some of the things that Jesus decides to do, but he spits on the ground, and he makes some mud, and then he puts the mud on the blind man's eyes. Bit of a different method, probably not one that I would have gone for, but he's Jesus and he knows what he's doing. And so he puts the mud on the blind man's eyes and then he tells him to go and wash his face and he goes and washes and when he wipes the mud off, he can see. Blind since birth and now he's had this encounter with Jesus where Jesus has put mud on his eyes and now he can see. Incredible story. He comes back and his neighbours and his friends, they know that he's been blind since birth. And they're like, what's going on? And he goes, I can see. Jesus put this mud on my face, told me to go and wash. I washed and now I can see. What would it be like for you if that was your experience? Absolutely amazing. You've just had this incredible encounter with this man. Life totally transformed. Blind, now can see. You'd be telling everybody. You'd be telling everybody. Now, the Pharisees find out that this man who is blind can now see. And they're like, what's going on here? What's this guy talking about? Was he, is he really, is this real? Is this really going on? And so they call him in and uh, they start questioning him. What, what's going on? And so he tells the story again. He's been telling the story to his neighbours and he tells the story again to the Pharisees. This is what happened. I was blind. I've been blind since birth. Jesus put mud in my eyes. Now I can see. Pretty straightforward. We're going to pick up the story from John 9, 18. This is what it says. The Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, still refused to, to believe the man had been blind and could now see. So they called in his parents, his parents that obviously know him, know what's just happened. And they asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? 
His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying that Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he's old enough, ask him. So for the second time, the Pharisees called the man in who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man Jesus is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Bit of an invitation there. (laughs) Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Incredible, remarkable story. Incredible healing story. We've got the young man's parents asked what's going on here what's happened to your son and out of fear of rejection their answer is we don't know what happened we don't know we don't know who healed him we don't know what happened they were afraid that they would be rejected by the pharisees that they would be excommunicated from the synagogue expelled from the synagogue And, you know, that would have been a massive thing for a Jewish family. That was their community. They were were their leaders. So to be expelled from that community would have been huge. But they had witnessed a miracle. They had witnessed their son, who'd been born blind, healed. And then on the contrast, we have this young man who's experienced the miracle. And he can't keep his mouth shut. He's in the same boat. If he testifies to what Jesus has done, he's going to be expelled from the synagogue and that's what happened. He's going to be excommunicated from the community for speaking about what Jesus did. You know, he doesn't know all there is to know about Jesus yet. He's not quite sure who this man is, but he knows the experience that he's had. He knows that once he was blind and now he can see. And he opens his mouth and he testifies to what Jesus had done and even asks them, do you want to become a disciple of Jesus? Which I think is a little bit cheeky and nice. So here is my third question for us this morning. Is fear of man holding you back from inviting someone to church? And I want to say that the difference between the two, the parents and the young man, was that the parents witnessed the miracle But the young man experienced the miracle. And, you know, we can come to church week in, week out, and we can hear about what God's doing in other people's lives, but something shifts when it's us. Something shifts when we experience a touch from Jesus. 
when God comes and does something in our lives and we have a testimony to be able to share. And I also want to say that fear of rejection, sometimes we've just got to get a little bit, a little bit of courage because unfortunately sometimes we will be rejected. Sometimes you will be rejected. Sometimes it won't be for that person. But you know what? Jesus was rejected over and over and over again. So we're in good company. But I want to encourage you that if this is a big thing in your life, seek after God. Ask him to come and move in your life to give you a testimony that you're not going to be able to shut up about. Is that okay? I'm going to move quickly because I'm running out of time. Last one, a lack of compassion. Do you remember what it was like to live without hope, lost and apart from, from Christ? Do you remember what that was like? You know, for many of us in this room, no doubt, we've been walking with Jesus for a really long time. For me, two-thirds of my life, and I don't really remember the first third of my life. So it's hard for me to remember what it was like to live without hope, lost and apart from Christ. But, you know, the reality in our world right now is that 5.13 billion people are living without hope, lost and away from Christ. How often do we consider scriptures like this one? 1 Thessalonians 1 9 that teaches us that those who do not follow Christ will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and his glorious power. What stirs up in us when we read scriptures like that? That that's the reality for 5.13 billion people in our world. Paul's response to this in Romans 9. He said, My heart is filled with bitter sorrow, unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters, the people that he loved. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ if it would save them. Talk about compassion. Talk about a heart for the broken, for the lost, for those separated from Christ. When was the last time that you wept for the lost? When was the last time that you got down on your knees and you prayed for the salvation of a loved one? You know, I think that we need to be reminded regularly of what we've been set free from. What we've been set free from. That scripture that I read, that was our reality. That's where we were heading separated from God, not able to do anything to change our situation. But Jesus came into the world, perfect man, lived a perfect life, died and took on the sins of the world so that we can be in right relationship with God. When we put our faith, our faith and our trust in Jesus and we're promised hope and a life and a future now here on earth and for eternity, we need to constantly remind ourselves of what we have been set free from and then regularly ask God to give us a heart of compassion, to give us a heart that just weeps for the lost, that desperately wants to see people come into relationship with Jesus. And I think if we get this one, all the others won't really be all that big obstacles. 
So four obstacles that can stand in the way of us inviting, of us creating an invite culture, of us inviting someone that we care about to church, to life group, to an event, to Alpha. Which one of these four obstacles stands out to you this morning? You know, we're a church that values getting real. And this morning, let's get real with one another. Which one, which of these obstacles is holding you back from inviting someone? And then let's be intentional about taking action about that. Let's choose to be intentional about getting out of our Christian bubble and hanging out with non-believers. If you're struggling with feeling embarrassed about church, talk to somebody. Take action on that. If there's a fear of rejection, there's two things. Man up, brave up, get your courage on. But also ask God to come and move powerfully in your life. To not just be witnesses of the miraculous power of God, but to experience the miraculous power of God. Because when you do, when you realize how much God loves you, that he would come and change your life, work a miracle in your life, it changes our identity. It changes everything. And fear doesn't seem so big in our lives anymore. And the final one, if you're struggling with the lack of compassion for the lost, then as we worship, I want to encourage you to pray that God will come and break your heart for the things that break his because God's heart is desperately turned towards those who don't yet know him. He came to die for all, not just the two billion that already know him, but all seven and a half billion of us. And so my final question for us this morning is who are you going to invite? In four days' time, we are heading into our Easter weekend and there's five opportunities over Easter for you to invite someone. We have Thursday night that Martin talked about. We have our Friday services. On Saturday, we have two Easter egg hunts happening, one at 10 a.m. at Liverpool, one at 5 o'clock at Padstow. And then Sunday, we have our celebration services. Who are you going to invite? And, you know, if you've got someone in your life where you go, I'm not sure if they're ready for one of those things, then we have a public holiday on Monday. Have lunch. I'm going to my parents for lunch on Monday and there's going to be a stack of non-believers there. If they're not ready for church, invite them into your home. Alpha. Invite them to Alpha. So who are you going to invite? Think about it. Get a name, get a face, and then this week take action, actually do something about it. Pick up the phone, send a text, pop, on the, pop over to their house, knock on the door, give them an invitation. Who are you going to invite? Let's not, let's not let this be something that we just talk about within these four, four walls, but we actually take action on.